Cats in space, man. Cats in space and cats in Eric's office. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, everyone, welcome to um, a brand new episode of Engage, uh, where we talk about stuff relating to New Trek. And for uh, this week on Engage, we are talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 1. And um, if you're just joining us and you heard all those giggles, man, woo, Eric, I think you had like some cat issues going on on aboard your ship or something. Yes, my cat was not being very friendly at this very moment. Does it have a thyroid condition? Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't. But it is a big cat. Not quite as big as, as Grudge, but it is a big cat. It's not a coon cat, is it? No, it's not. Okay, well, I mean, it is what it is, I suppose. Well, um, everyone, um, y- you know, we, we haven't done these these for a while. I mean, I guess technically, like, the Lower Decks was an Engage episode, but, I mean, like, proper week-in, week-out type of stuff. I mean, this is brand new, like, for the first time in a while, I think, since Picard, really. So, and and it's not just Eric and I. We have David aboard as well What's so up? david you're in for a treat man i think i mean it might be punishment to you for all i know it might be very well could be all right well uh well gang let's i guess let's kind of get into it for the most part um i mean this will probably be like our quickest start to talking about an episode ever um so um eric if you don't mind i'm going to I'm going to put this on you. Why don't you give us a quick episode overview, like quick synopsis of this episode? Of this episode? Of this episode. Okay. Random guy gets woken up again and again by a parrot. Random space collision. Random crash landing. Um, random fights that break out all the time. Um, Drugs. Uh, so far, so good. What? Drugs. So far, so good. Random drugs. Um, uh, We went to Stardust City again. Um, (laughs) We had some more random fighting. And we had a really cool episode, in my opinion. Right? I know I'm being facetious here with my episode recap. Um, (laughs) So basically, this episode could be summarized as random, is what I'm getting. Random. No, no. Um, sure. So Michael Burnham crash comes out of her wormhole that she went into the very last time we saw her. Mm-hmm. Um, she crashes into a ship, a random ship, and then she falls onto the planet. But she learns her mission succeeded, and she says, "Is there life here?" And multiple life signs detected. Big, big yes. Big yes, because I've accomplished my mission. And and it's it's deserved, I think. I think that's very much deserved. Um, like, trying to keep control um, from where we left off um, at the end of Season 2, trying to make sure that control doesn't basically destroy all of humanity and, you know, getting things as far, far, far away as possible uh, from the, the 23rd century, essentially. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and then we meet this this book guy who's a pretty interesting character right off the bat 
Um, and, you know, Book doesn't want anything to do with Burnham, and I kind of understand why. He's, he's a loner, right? Doesn't want anything to do with random rocket girl coming through the wormhole. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a then, missed opportunity to not play Rocket Man um, during this well, episode. I'm just saying. Well, you know, it might be too expensive. <laughs> Maybe. Kind of, kind of a, kind of a bit of a budget Idris Elba, no? Yeah. Oh, a budget yeah. Idris. Elba. <laughs> well, they um, already I got think... Idris Elba in Star Trek, didn't they? Yes, they did. In yeah, was that um, Beyond, right? Yeah, Beyond. Yeah. Beyond. Yeah, that's the one we don't talk about, though. Well, 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 we'll have to talk about that someday. <laughs> Just because. The things that so, nobody yeah. else talks about. We're going to talk about it today on the podcast. <laughs> so David, um, I think it's Ayala. Is that how you pronounce the name? It's A-J-A-L-A. I think it's David Ayala. Or Ajala. Ayala, Ajala. David A. There we go. So if someone yeah. knows how to pronounce it, thank you for correcting me while I can't hear you. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> so I found out him and I have the same birthday. Kind of. Cool. We're off by one year. But, I mean, nice. same same birthday, which is kind of exciting. So, we're both May babies. Both May babies. Look at that. So, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, man. Like, let's let's kind of, like, take this maybe, uh, maybe segment by segment to a certain extent. Like, I think we have two or three major chunks. I mean, we have Hema, I think is the name of the planet, if I remember right. Um, we're on Hema. Uh, where this whole crash landing thing takes place. Uh, and then we go to Sanctuary, and then we go to um, a Federation relay station, essentially, a communications center. And uh, anyway, it's it seems like it's well organized. And by the way, we're you know five, six minutes into this podcast episode, and um, this is not spoiler-free, by the way. So... <laughs> Just thought I'd point that out now, um, before we really get into the the meat of things. So, um, even before we we start talking about these three settings, though, there was um, there have been some changes that we see basically right after this this cold opener, and that's new title sequence. Um, I don't know if that's something that y'all really want to talk about, but we see um, the dot seven. Um, droids that are popping up. We see new um, com badges that are showing up. Dilithium is now red. Right? I mean, dil dilithium was always like clearish blue, essentially. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not high, am I? No. Nope, nope. That was that was what I. Okay. So you're under the same impression that it was like a lighter shade besides red. Yes, yes, okay. absolutely. Okay, just just making sure. And by the way, listeners, I do not get high. I'm just saying. Um, just putting that out there. Um, but yeah, Dilithium is now red. And we have new com badges. Um, I did, I, I think the one part of the, the title sequence that I did think was kind of cool was the deconstructing the phaser and then reconstructing it as like the, the, um, the new edition of the phaser. I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know. What were y'all? I mean, what yeah, were some thoughts I, I, on? I don't on know. The... Like, 
I honestly, um, the Discovery intro is like to me not memorable at all. Neither the theme song nor the images. And I felt the same way about like Picard. Like the music and the imagery was like just kind of boring and bland. Hmm. I don't know. I just want us to go back to like some kind of space opening where we're, you know, we're traveling through space and we see our our actual ship like go to these like various locations. Like sure. bring back that kind of Trek opening. Like that's what I want to see. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you that the the opening wasn't as memorable. It's it. <laughs> It's actually not something I remember all that well as, as Chase was recapping it, but like, I don't, I didn't mind Picard's intro. I kind of understood that. It didn't feel very Star Trek to me, but I kind of understood it a little bit more. But I mean, this one was just kind of, you know, eh. I think Picard, I mean, like they were going for more of like a pensive, mm. philosophical vibe to them. So, you know, having more of like that deliberate, like let's look at the vineyard Let's look at these different things. I think I think I can. You can sell that and market that as an opening, a lot easier. But you know, the first two seasons of, of Discovery, like the title sequence, like I would skip it, and I I just it was boring to me. And one thing that I do at the start of every new season, of really Star Trek, is I always watch the first and the last. Um, like, especially like on Netflix now and like the streamings and stuff like because I want to see like what's different like has anything about the title sequence changed from one season to the next and whatever and uh, I mean sometimes you'll see that halfway through a season um, you know at different points like someone gets promoted or a new character joins the main cast halfway through the season and um, I like this I like this discovery opening I'm, I'm probably going to be the the voice of dissension on this one, but um, I liked it. It wasn't as boring, and I was paying attention, trying to pay attention to like any kind of like clues that they're trying to like throw our way, because that's what what Kurtzman does with these intros that he's he's um, essentially in charge of. Is it's it's meant to give us some kind of indication of like where the story goes. Like you look at Star Trek Discovery season one and even two, and there's like some very subtle changes, and definitely with three. Um, and, and the thing that I was seeing, even at the very end of of uh, the Disco 3 opening, was this, like, weird, like, robotic arm hand thing that, that pops up. Um, so I'm wondering, like, what role are androids going to be playing now? Like, are we all androids now? Can we not have another story about androids and AI, please? Like, I think Star Trek's done that. Can we move on to something else? Yeah, I'm kind of inundated with it, but like, I'm just taking, you know, cues from <laughs> from it, right? I mean, I think we all are. No, I, I, I have you. I yeah, mean, I mean, I, I think I it, would be, it would be a intro, very easy it, thing to do. Mm-hmm. I, just, I watched this intro for Discovery, like, and I did notice that there were some differences between the images that they were showing us. But they look like just random sketches from the set designers, the art director's, like, notebook. It's like, let's just randomly take his sketches and put them on screen. And it just, I don't know, it feels weird to me. I'm just going to be, I'm very interested to see how the Dot 7 plays a role this far in the future. Because, like, we saw in Short Treks these things 
more of a thing like in the past. So like that's unless I'm just remembering some details wrong, I'm just it's gonna have to, it's gonna be different in how they use it. Is the dot is the dot seven the Star Trek version of the Astromech? Is that what that is? Yes. Okay, because like that was totally random in the season two Discovery season two finale. How like. During the big space battle, little astromech droids come out of the ship and start repairing it. And I'm like, since when did Star Trek have astromechs? Since when did Star Trek have R2-D2? Like, David, did you notice that? Did that, like, make you think of those? You know, to, to be honest, I, I totally don't remember that, like, at all. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think I think it's, it, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of... It's kind of one of those things that we we've seen the difference with Discovery, though. I mean, like drastically changing, like Klingons, for example. Um, you know, putting their own sort of spin on the world that we already kind of know. Yeah. So I, I well, I mean, just just discover for the time period, just Discovery itself, the advanced nature of it and then you know along the same timeline you're thinking about the original series and enterprise and how everything was just like some you know red or you know blue or yellow plastic gem and we were eating little tide pod things so <laughs> hey let's just add stuff it's fine no one will notice yeah i do think discovery has definitely not tried to fit technologically in with the rest of Star Trek. They've just like, yeah, let's create some cool new technology. And even now, like, you know, we saw how advanced, like, the the 1031 looked when this all started. And now that it's, what, 900 some odd years in the future, 930 years in the future, like, it, it kind of it kind of looks like it's part of like the same future, but at the same time, it does look kind of out of time too. I mean, if we if we're looking at the discovery, I don't know if y'all have the same or a similar viewpoint on the discovery and you know the time period we're in. The now. discovery to me looks like a super advanced ship. It does not look like it takes place before the next generation at all, and it looks like to me it looks like it would fit in pretty perfectly in this future timeline just sure. from the little bit that we've seen of like the bridge of book ship i want to take the donut off the discovery like the spinny thing and and put it right next to a klingon bird of prey because i swear like they're like sisters or something man <laughs> too soon oh, man. I mean, i'm talking like og like bird of prey i'm gonna stop now let's keep on going so Hema, so um, space thing happens. There's falling. You know she crashes into Book's ship. Somehow does not break her back, even though she's wearing armor. It's like light armor. She doesn't break her back somehow. Lands, and then and she doesn't. She doesn't burn up in the atmosphere. Somehow does not burn up in the atmosphere. It's it's fine. It's fine. And then she chooses to just destroy that suit. It's like I don't know. Maybe I could keep the Iron Man well, suit now. I think that was the plan all along. No, I, I, I know it. it was, but I would just be like, well, I mean, you know, Super Iron Man suit. I could just keep this and rule out here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I 
yeah, just shoots the thing right up in the air, man. And next thing we know, she's going on her own, like, spirit quest to find this, these smoke signals and see what the smoke signals mean in with, her life. With her, with her box of antiques? Yes. With her Tide Pod um, uh, food rations. Basically. Kids, if you're listening to this podcast, there's this thing called the Tide Pod Challenge a couple years back. It was a very bad idea. If you're listening like, to this, do not eat Tide Pods. I'm just saying. That wasn't real. Like, that was just like an internet myth, right? People weren't actually no. eating Tide Pods. No, there were straight up people eating Tide Pods. Like, not even playing with you. Internet clout, man. Don't eat Tide I Pods really... or Gain Pods or any detergent pods at all. Bad juju. Don't do it. And no, I gotta say, though, um... This was filmed in what, like Iceland or something like that? Iceland, yeah. It looks gorgeous. Mm -hmm. This landscape that she's walking mm -hmm. over and every every outdoor scene in this episode looks fantastic. I know sometimes Star Trek reuses locations. You're like, oh, I've seen that canyon scene before. <laughs> <laughs> but this looked this looked fresh and new. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was, um, I was reading, I'm pretty sure it was, it was either Kristen Bayer or Michelle Paradise had always wanted to uh, film in Iceland. So you write something to meet the landscape and you get to shoot there um, is typically how, how it's done like with production. So that's how they ended up in Iceland. And you're right, it's, it's gorgeous. And... Uh, kind of going off on a tangent here but even with Iceland like I saw um, like the scenery scenery of um, Iceland earlier this year on uh, the movie uh, Fire Saga or uh, I'm sorry Euro um, Eurovision the story of Fire Saga um, and it's like the Will Ferrell Rachel McAdams like comedy that's on Netflix uh, David have you seen it I have not watched that no okay <laughs> Nope. My nope. wife and I, we think that is that movie is hilarious. It's probably not for everyone, but they show some beautiful vistas in um, in that movie too. So yeah, like I was I was excited to see Iceland again. I want to go there um, eventually. So okay. I'm just I'm yeah. Go ahead. So, so uh, when we finally have our our confrontation with book with book, mm -hmm. there's a fight, and I if, like if I have one problem with this episode, there's too much fighting. Okay. Like, I get that book thinks that she crashed into his ship, and he's upset because he's got this mission, mm -hmm. but is our reaction to everything just to start a fist fight now? Is that what Star Trek has turned into? I mean, it. it I mean, it does kind of take place in the same Kirk era, and he did his like Kirk foo. So maybe it's maybe by the time we get to Kirk, it's like a watered down version of like what we're seeing. I mean, head cannon accepted, I suppose. Well, the the other thing though that I would probably think about a little bit more just for the time period we're in. And, you know, not to get too far ahead, but, I mean, the Federation is gone at this point. So, I mean, without the Federation and kind of their, you know, guiding uh, utopian sort of mm -hmm. mindset, I could definitely see more things sort of dumping into chaos where 
you know, you're almost in sort of like a weird Wild West type of deal. Um, and then also just from the psychology of like book, I mean, the guy is again, not to get too far ahead, but the guy's legitimately like stealing animals, endangered animals to take to a sanctuary planet. So I would have to assume that being a courier and effectively doing the wrong thing as a courier, not currying anything, just taking it, it's probably going to garner him some enemies. So I, I guess, yeah. I guess the reaction is, is there, but I will say, I, I do agree with you on one thing. As we go into our later chase, how many people need to be vaporized before you start to stop just randomly transporting where you're query is and maybe like think about it more tactically like how many people were vaporized in this particular episode 20 30 100 i mean th- <laughs> there were like what gaggle there were like gaggles of like five or six folks at a time yeah. in these fights yeah. and there were like what like one there was the waterfall there was like two i think there was like one in like that stretch of land mm-hmm. and then there were like another two gaggles like one beamed in on like the north and one on the south, so to speak, as they're about like on the cliff cliffside. So like that's four. Like that's like twenty, twenty five some odd people that we're talking about yeah. potentially getting vaporized. The, like, plus or minus a few. If we're if we're just talking about these fight scenes here, I think there was probably one scene too many of their escape, right? If they're when they're in when they're escaping from the mercantile, I don't know, or requiem, I guess is what it was called. Mm-hmm. Um they had. They went to like four different locations before they finally got to the ship. I think they probably could have cut out one of those locations and trimmed this whole fight escape sequence down a little bit. I I agree with you. I think that like the one where they're like like they're doing like that um like that like that pan around like that 360 pan uh, where they they're in that open field. I think that's the one they probably could have cut because, like, the ones that, like, the ones that I think really mattered was the waterfall fight and the cliffside fight. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Though, I mean, those both served as like transition points for the rest of the story, but like the one in that middle was just kind of a filler. I mean, it is what it is, but I mean, you're right. If we're gonna cut one, I think that probably would have been the one for me. And, the, the, and I think we could have cut down a little bit of the time when before they transport out of Requiem. Mm-hmm. Can I also add one other thing here, too, to, to consider? So, Michael is a Starfleet officer um, from a vastly different time where the Federation is still the Federation. Why doesn't she have a problem with just vaporizing everybody? I w- like, I she seems very prepared. Thing. I mean, I know she was drugged in the beginning of this, but that obviously starts to wear off as they are skip transporting all over the place. Um, You would think, no, 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 I'm cool. I'm just going to keep shooting until we find the end of it. Yeah. I was, I was actually thinking the same thing. Like how Booker, I can understand because she, he's from that time, but, but Burnham, I mean, she's from the utopian Federation for crying out loud, like the golden age of the Federation pretty much. You know, um, I mean, ten least, years before Kirk. At least a line about, "Hey, does this thing have a stun setting?" Right. I mean, now we're just like shooting these like donut guns at people, and they're like vaporizing. And like, what's up with that, man? Like, I would have. She's a woman out of time, 
and she should be shocked by some of this stuff. Um, like to your point, like you're a Starfleet officer, like killing should be like the absolute last resort. Like what happened to like the whole talking bit or, or something? Cause like Andorians used to be allies with the Federation years and years ago. Um, so yeah, like why, why is it suddenly okay in a moment? Like you've been in the future for like a couple hours and all of a sudden you're okay with just dusting people? Like Thanos? I mean, come on now. I mean, I will say that if you're in a situation where your life is in danger, where before the whole fight scene started, they're like the Iridian was like, can I kill her though? When you're in a situation where people will not hesitate to shoot you, I feel like you're more likely to shoot back. Yeah. But I do agree. I do agree with your point that she does just she, she and never at one point does she express any concern for the people that she's killed. Even after it's over, she's like, "Oh my God, I just killed all those people." She doesn't ever do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with with this, like, I know we're we're jumping all over the place, and that's that's okay. Like, we get. We, we have the conversation uh, where Book's like, I don't want to know your name. I don't know anything about you. Goes inside the ship. Um, says, like, I need dilithium um, or a recrystallizer. I just need dilithium, basically, to, to get moving. So next we see this long walk. Long, long, long walk from the ship to, you know, his supplier, essentially, for, for all this stuff. And along the way, en route to this, um, books like, you know, you need to hide that sucker before, pointing to the, the Delta. You need to hide that before we get there, otherwise we're going to get ourselves in, like, some serious trouble. And this is where, like, we start to hear officially, like, about this thing called the burn. Um, the day that the galaxy took a hard left, basically. Yeah, he says he says first that by wearing that I can tell you believe in ghosts. There are people out there that you see wearing these federation badges that are like true believers, but they're just trying to hold on to the past. They can't accept the past. Mhm. Right? And and I think that's kind of what the federation is supposed to be. Even Michael Burnham here says it. The federation is true believers. It's not just ships and warp vessels. It's it's a vision and that shared vision amongst people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously that this whole walk and talk kind of, I think sets up really the overarching theme. No, that, I mean, will it be solved in a season or will it be something that stretches on? But like, I mean, instead, cause we, we had talked a little bit about like, what was it? The, the Omega particle type of stuff, you know, is that maybe something mm-hmm. in connection, but you know, we have this whole deal where basically the lithium was going nuclear. And, right. I mean, is this a weapon? Is this now a part of lore where the lithium somehow breaks down, destabilizes? Is it, you know, an, an entity doing it? So there's a lot of different, a uh, lot of different ways you could go. What did, what did you guys specifically think, like, about that? Well, well, I don't know. It seems kind of like a contrived idea. Dilithium just exploded. 
right? I mean, I feel like if you want to, like, break up warp travel, I feel like there are lots of ways that Star Trek has, has introduced, lots of little things that Star Trek has introduced in the past where instead of just dilithium exploding, like the Omega particle. Mm-hmm. Did the Omega particle cre- cause the dilithium to explode? But whatever happened to that storyline in Season 7 of The Next Generation where warp drive was killing the universe? Yeah, right. And they put, like, a warp speed limit on ships. That just got, like, dropped. I mean, if you want to, like, talk about not being able to travel at warp and this is why the Federation is gone bring back that storyline that could have been inter- an interesting way to connect it to the past mm-hmm. and i think i mean i remember the 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 tng thing where they they were talking about like how warp travel is 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 ruining like space and like the ability to do so and it was my understanding eric that they essentially retconned that by the time we got to um either DS9 or Voyager, uh, which is kind of like why we didn't hear about it again. I think that was part of the reason we had like maybe Omega kind of pop up. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I guess I never really felt like Omega was related to that um, that storyline about Warp Drive. I just feel like they they did it in that episode. They mentioned it for a couple episodes after that and they just, it, like the show Next Generation ended because it was one of the last episodes mm-hmm. and Neither one of the shows after that wanted to pick it up. Okay. But I also think, um, could this idea of dilithium exploding have anything to do with um, the Zahian, that Zahian queen at the end of Discovery Season 2 who created the dilithium recrystallization? Could somebody have, like, done more experiments with that, possibly turned that into a weapon and... And we're gonna relate it that that way somehow. I mean, anything's possible, right? Um, I mean, like we're talking. Gosh, I mean, we're talking twenty third century when this is like kind of going on. So anything can happen in nine hundred years. Like you use a technology, and it can break down over time, and and perhaps like that's part of like the story point of of what Discovery's doing. Um, just having, like, technology fail, having things fail us, and how we move past a failure. How do we overcome a failure? I don't know. Well, you, you, you want to... I, I guess you could also think about another... I, I kind of view this as a cheap, uh, kind of a cop-out. But there was the line about, um, about, you know, how time travel devices were outlawed because of the temporal war and what... And uh, do you, what, what did he? What did Book say? Something about? Do you think it's like funny to tear holes and blah blah blah? Mm-hmm. So you could always have the sort of, in my opinion, cheap cop out of uh, Michael doing this whole jump. And what if her jump somehow intersected some timeline and her act of saving her, you know, her time frame and continuing the loop? Uh, so to speak, affected it later. Or maybe we get something more about the temporal war, which, you know, was sort of explored in, like, Enterprise, right? So. Yeah. 
Yeah. I would really hate it if that was the storyline so, they so went to. I. That <laughs> Michael's Michael's jump through time is what caused the burn. Yeah. Oh man, that would like that. I, I think I would like take my shuttlecraft and go home. I have to. I have <laughs> to go. That's the storyline they did. I have to go back and fix what I messed up again, right. again. Again, 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 Michael Burnham, the Michael Burnham, the ultimate savior of the galaxy. Uh, what, what was that? Uh, what was that? Uh, oh shoot! What was the show um, where where the guy uh, kept transferring different bodies across time? It was like a '90s TV show where he oh Quantum Leap, Quantum Leap. So it, we're we're just we're melding Quantum Leap and oh, Star God. Trek. And she just has to keep going back and forward and back and forward. I, I was gonna say like I, this is like the perfect time because I was gonna say, and I don't want to sound like an angry nerd troll, but I swear if I will be very upset, I, I will be livid if the burn is Burnham. I mean, it's in the name for crying out loud. I, I will be very, very, very upset if if the burn is because of Michael Burnham. Oh, dude, I didn't even oh, think man. about I that. Didn't, I didn't even think about that. Like, the burn and burn them. Oh, oh, my God. No. <laughs> like, this show, this show, Discovery, seasons one, two, and so far, this one episode of season three, is already so much the Michael Burnham show. If the burn was, sh- like, Burnham, oh, my God. Like, can we not to do that please what if she has to butterfly effect herself <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> personal like she has to write a personal log to go back <laughs> i i hate see this is why i hate time travel shows movies i i i, I don't like them because ultimately they're usually self-defeating the message mm. is usually self-defeating um I I I, bring, I only brought that up because you know it's 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 a it could be a cheap way to you know explore things, but I I really do hope that we don't get any more timey wimey stuff. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. Does, we don't need any more wibbly wobbly stuff, man. I mean, I kind of liked the temporal cold war at the beginning of Enterprise. I think as it wore on, I got a little less interested in it, yeah. and I I think. Would they mention it here in this episode, right at the beginning, if it wasn't going to play a role? Would y'all be opposed to seeing Daniels again? Yes. Well, well when did opposed. Daniels come from? He came from the 29th century, right? Yes. No, so wait, he, no, wait, 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 no. No, Daniels came from 31st. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay, so he's still 100 years before, like, he's, Roughly, he's yeah. still 100 years before this. I don't know. I I feel like the people that are making Star Trek these days don't know enough about Star Trek in the past to to bridge these things together well enough. I wouldn't mind seeing more of like the Temporal War. Um, I it, I mean, Daniels was kind of meddling and kind of annoying at times in Enterprise, but. Um, by and large, I enjoyed his appearances, and I think it'd be—I mean, we saw like what we saw, like the 22nd century side of it, you know, with Archer being, you know, brought back and forth and way, way, way in the future at the same time. And I think it'd be kind of cool to 
maybe see it again, but from like the 32nd, 33rd, um, 34th, I mean, whatever side of things. That's just me. Well, really, a, a, another question I would also pose is, so let's say we don't get any more time stuff. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're eventually going to encounter Discovery because it's in the preview. Freaking title. I mean, in the preview. It, it's in the it's in the end of episode preview. Um, do they get back, or is this uh, you know out of time? People out of time, and they just have to be here. Do you think that they'll ever uh, be able to go back to their time, or are we just going to stick them, to. them here? I don't either. I, to be honest, I I want them to stay here. Um, I liked. I hope I hope my my uh, my thought process makes sense. But Voyager, I like Voyager because they relied on the team and like overcoming stuff. Getting like their mission was to get back home. We don't know what the mission of Discovery is apart from like keep control from you know destroying all of life and humanity and stuff like that. But like going back to Voyager, like they worked as a team. They used their resources at, of a team. They used the strengths of a team to overcome every single bit of adversity along the way and they cut years and decades and et cetera, et cetera off their journey home and they eventually got home like we found out in the series finale. DS9, they're isolated. They're isolated on a space station um, for the most part. I mean, they're, they have people coming to them but it's a new way of thinking about it. Um, it doesn't really work the same way with TNG or, or TOS, but like, um, cause like they're like, they're still interacting by and large with the Federation. Not that the others aren't enterprise. They're figuring things out. Like what is the Federation? Like, what is this? I mean, it's not even the Federation. It's just Starfleet. Basically Federation hasn't even been born yet, but they're all on their own. And I think having this, this time period, so far removed from what we know of Star Trek, one, it takes pressure off of of the cast to not mess with canon. It gives them more freedom, and it get, it allows them to come into their own, and that's what I want to see. I think this is the perfect opportunity for them to come into their own and to really find who they are as a crew when they're way out of time. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've always loved about Voyager was that they were a ship and a, and a group of people on their own and out of place. And they just had to rely on each other and they had to, they had to build a team. It couldn't be a ship of people who didn't get along and didn't work well together. They were forced to work well together. And they, even people like Tuvok eventually came to respect and, and get along with everybody on that ship. And I, really felt that sense of camaraderie on Voyager and by taking Voyager and placing them in the Delta Quadrant it allowed us to hey we don't just have Klingons anymore we don't just have Romulans anymore we don't just have Cardassians anymore we can do these new things and we can explore we can actually do some exploring and I think by jumping us into the future we can do some actual exploring and if these are the only Starfleet people we have, I feel like I'm going to get to know 
Detmer and Owusakun and Bryce and Reese and all these other people. I feel like I get to know them better because, oh, I can't bring in another Starfleet ship to... I can't bring in Captain Pike, right? I, I'm relying on the people that I have here. And I like that idea, but this was actually going to be something I was going to bring up at the end of this episode, is do you think they're going to get back? And I actually do think they're going to get back, and it has nothing to do with the Discovery story. It has everything to do with the fact that Philippa Georgiou, Emperor Georgiou, is on the Discovery when it went through the wormhole. And we know that there's a Section 31 series starring Philippa Georgiou that is in production. And that has to take place in the past. That can't take place in this future. So somehow the ship has to get back. Did you guys like that she's going to be included in this? Because I, to be honest, I don't. I'm not, I I'm not it's crazy. not that I don't like the character I just don't I don't really care for her to be here yeah I, I I just feel like we're done with the emperor like I think I, I just feel like we're done with her like what 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 else is there to do I mean like yeah she served a, a guess a purpose at the back half of of season one and even you know, parts of season two but like I don't really see where what value she brings like I, the only value it's not value the only storyline she can bring is like she sees a, a universe or a galaxy in decay and she says let me rebuild my empire and take over and that is like such a boring story to me it is I, I really hope they don't do that unless I mean unless she finds here we go here's here's some speculation what if she I, I realize it was destroyed but what if it was not destroyed what if the red angel suit was not destroyed and she's somehow able to take it back or a similar type of time travel device that she's able to utilize stranding discovery in the far future I mean that would fit her character it and would. her personality but I still, like, I feel like this is going to be a one-season sojourn to the future, and they're going to end up back in the past. That's just my opinion. Mm. But I, I want them to stay in the future, because it opens up so many new possibilities. But if they go, the only issue that they're going to have if they go back to the past is that we've made pinky promises with everyone, saying don't ever talk about the Discovery ever again type of thing. Oh, and here you are. Hi, guys. Yeah, I just, I just, like, that Section 31 series with Georgiou is the only reason that I think that this is not going to be permanent. I will watch Section 31 if it actually becomes a reality, but I'm not looking forward to it. I, I have zero interest in it, um, in Section 31. I think Section 31, I'm going to be, I'm going to be one of those guys for a second. Section 31 is a Deep Space Nine thing. Deep yes, Space Nine but, utilized you know, it well. But every every other incarnation of Star Trek since then has has used it. Um, Enterprise didn't mention it by name, but it was strongly suggested that mm -hmm. that's what it was. Um, Star Trek Into Darkness used Section Thirty One, and now here 
discoveries using Section 31. Well, they, yeah, they used Section 31 a lot. <laughs> yeah. There was an entire... Hey, it wasn't even covert. It was just it, there. No, it wasn't. No, Here's it's, your fancy it, covert delta. Yeah. yeah. I'm, your, I'm, your ofi- I'm your official Section 31 representative yeah. on this ship. Um, excuse me? Just, just, ex- just excuse the killer AI. It's fine. We're here to help. Don't worry about it. Pay no attention. <laughs> it's like, and at one point, Admiral Admiral Cornwall, right? That's her name, Cornwall? Wall, well, yeah. She was like, every admiral in Starfleet feeds information into control. Yeah. Excuse me? Well, I'm what? the truck up, yo. Back <laughs> the truck up. But I am glad, though, that Ash Tyler did not make the leap to the future. Okay. Okay. Come on, man. You don't like that little Klingon-human hybrid? Well, I just think I think his storyline with Michael Burnham has played yeah. out as well. No, I, I Ju- just like I think Emperor Georgiou's storyline with Burnham has yeah. played itself out as well. Do you think Do you think Ash Tyler is going to show up on um, Strange New Worlds on Pike's Enterprise? If yeah. he shows up anywhere, it should be on the Section Thirty One show because he was named the, the 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 head of Section Thirty One at the end of season two. Mm-hmm. He's too nice to be the head of Section Thirty One for crying out loud. Yeah, nobody will ever top Sloan. No, no, no. <laughs> man, he was ruthless. Man, Sloan was a great character. I liked him. The, the three episodes that he was in yeah, very memorable good. very memorable so so can i can i bring up a uh, glowy head no. different yes. language speaking yes i make mean hey tough. i can make plants show up and calm down animals <laughs> pretty so yeah pretty something is book is book a human is he supposed to be an alien or is he just a human yeah, that now I, he's he's a thousand a thousand years into our future, our future, humans have evolved, right? Apparently. Because evolution. Yeah. Well, he, he, he talks about a planet. He talks about, you know, his people being like hunters, poacher type of deal. Um, so human with a question mark, I think would be sort of the, sort of the thought I'd have. Um, I will say though, that my feeling on him and his whole mission does seem very, very old track. Kind of like how I make fun of season two sometimes of Next Gen with their uh, drug messages to Wesley. It's like, don't take drugs, Wesley. Why would anybody do that? Um, yeah, I think that's in season one. But yeah, yeah. I did, yeah. Or, Why would anybody take yeah, a that, drug? If that or, had Tosh or, in it, definitely season one. Right. Or, or, you know, you just you had a very like cause oriented, you know, trying to highlight the good in things. So just just for him to be out there, you know, saving the endangered species and, and being able to like communicate with him. I actually kind of think is, is sort of cool because it's kind of a throwback at, you know, how dark we we have gotten with mm-hmm. Star Trek in the in the past, you know. With the with the movies and and you know even Discovery, I actually kind of think it's it's a little refreshing and it it does seem like he and Michael are going to have uh, some prolonged time together to cultivate a relationship maybe before we sort of get with Discovery. Yeah. So are they going to be like the new 
Peace Corps or something like that. Space Space Peace Corps. Space Force. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. I, saving this this uh, what, trance worm is that what it was called? A yeah. Trance worm. Yeah. To, I got like voyage home vibes. You know, right? we have to save the whales yeah. and bring them. That is my I Bring them to our sanctuary. That is my favorite. You know what movie. I thought of? You know what I thought of, guys? This. What? If it plays. Fantastic beasts and where to find them. That is what this reminded me of with Book. Was freaking Newt Scamander. I have no idea what that music is. That was the main titles to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Oh, okay. I've never seen it. Yeah, yeah, I I, I guess I could I could see where you're where you're going with that. <laughs> oh just, man. just less less magic. Yeah. Well, I don't know. He's got like a magic forehead. Yeah, a glowy forehead. He's got a magic forehead, man, and he can he can bring up like the Spock flower, the Spock butterfly yeah. thing. Yeah, that was that was something. That sound like that language, I mean, it sounded slightly Arabic to me. Like it, it sounded kind of like Arabic and maybe a little um like Russian Ukrainian like amalgamation of sorts to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm no linguist, so Okay. Fair enough. I'm just a Midwestern American. <laughs> <laughs> well, um I guess uh with with that, I mean like we okay, so we're we're in the the, uh, the 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 market like we're going to try and get the dilithium like let's kind of bring it back and like we can get through this maybe kind of quickly I suppose um, I mean really all that happens is you go there betrayal prison breakout that's really what happens yeah and did anybody else think it was weird that if dilithium is supposed to be so valuable now because most of it was just blew up it went boom. Did you think it was weird that there was just dilithium sitting on a table in a shop that they could walk into and just grab all of it? Shouldn't it be locked up in a secure vault somewhere? Yeah, and the thing that I didn't get, and maybe someone can explain this to me, but it's there, and there was like some kind of like red force field around it. Like red box force field around it. The shoosting begins, and Michael Burnham still kind of in her drunken stupor because she got drugged prior to this just runs over there and grabs it yeah i don't i didn't i don't get that like there what happened to the force field? Wh yeah what happened to the force field like did i mean this is a legitimate question i'm not i'm not necessarily trying to poke holes but like did something happen because i watched this two times i didn't get to the three to three viewings i watched this twice and i was there were certain scenes i was trying to pay attention to intentionally did you gents 
come like see like what that was that like made it to where she was able to just grab it like did they shoot out like a power generator or something no because i thought the same thing too i saw it was just on a table and it had a force field or like a red force field around mm -hmm. it and then by the time they got into there there was no force field right but like that guy's big boom shooter thing i don't know what else to call it boom shooter thing he didn't boom shoot them until after they had grabbed the dilithium Right, yeah, so, like so. Book, book, look like it was look, look like it was like a almost like an EM, um, like an EMP gun or something. I mean, that's like he shot it. It like it shoots him back. Like it's like a just a boom. It like it knocks the Andorians and like the Orions and whomever else that they're fighting back. And it's just this big blue wall of energy that's like shooting them back. And they run out. Oh, like Burnham runs over. Book eventually joins them. There's no force field on that box, like that little, like, Apple Store thing that they go into, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and grab it, and she's like shoving it in her little knapsack, and then, so, for some reason, there's a big red force field that pops up on the Apple Store now. Yeah, I, like I, some of the stuff. Some of the stuff isn't making sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you have to have some um, some semblance of like just accepting certain things that probably are just like a continuity error. Because I would have to imagine that you know, like suspend disbelief is what I was trying to think of. Like, okay, yeah, a shot probably did something, but who knows? I don't know because I, I don't think that that's explainable. Two things I wanted to point out here that were kind of just before this whole little fight scene. One, when Book is attempting to sell the tricorder to that one female alien, did you yeah. guys think that the dialogue was really weird? Yeah. Did you think that she looked like Taylor Swift also? Kind of. But the whole the, that yeah. whole exchange, like I watched, I watched the episode twice, but it was like. I tried on the second run through. I tried to take special attention to that, and it's like it still didn't make any sense. So it's like, what are you guys talking about? Are you on drugs? Because well, I don't well, get it. Well, what did he say? It's like he said something like, "Can we each be like a, a better, I like higher mind yeah, or something weird. like that? Higher yeah. minded or something like that?" Yeah. And then the second thing, um, uh, God, I'm so horrible at remembering actresses' name or actors in general's name, but um, Burnham, the the actress yes. who plays Burnham, Sonequa. Yeah, her acting during her whole the very beginning of the show when you know she realizes that you know the future is somewhat saved, and then later on with the drug stuff, it, well, I thought was really really good. Like I thought yeah. she she played really really well throughout this episode her reactions and just the way that she ran through stuff I, I thought was really good so that was something I wanted to talk about was was Michael Burnham um, like Sonequa's portrayal of Michael Burnham in this episode and no, I, I, go ahead no I know people have said before that Discovery has better acting than a lot of the shows in the past which I totally disagree with but I do I do think you're right I think Sonequa Martin-Green was very strong in this episode and and she needed to be because it was her story and her story alone. And mm -hmm. she was fantastic um, throughout the whole thing. I definitely agree. Mm -hmm. With um, the thing that 
like whenever I was watching um, this, like there were cer- certain parts that were kind of like kind of taking me out of it, and I think though the when she's still like in her cell, like being detained by the um, Andorian and the Orion um, after they like drug her or whatever. When I was when I was in um, high school, and Eric and I went to the same high school, um, the drama teacher, her name was Mrs. Botsky, and um, one of the things that she drilled into us was um, this idea of schmacting, and like schmacting is like it's not a real word, but like that's what she just called it. like schmacting is basically like um, soap opera, like overacting type of thing. And that was the vibe that I was picking up on with Burnham while she was in the ca- in the in the cage <laughs> in her cell. Um, like part of it, like I was like, Ugh. but the rest of it, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I can I can dig that. Like, I have a redheaded friend. You can't give her any of this stuff. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> but by and large, like her acting was superb, and the on- I think the only time that I was like don't do that Michael stop it is whenever she like started going back into like her Vulcan like way of doing things like she just had like that very cold cal- I don't want to say cold but like I hope you get what I'm saying like that cold calculating manner of speech that she's been known for especially in season one and I just hated that because like for the first time this is just my opinion. All you dear listeners, this is my opinion. This is the first time that we've got like a human Michael. And I like human Michael a lot. I kind of, I kind of thought what drew me to her in the first place was honestly the the struggle between the the human side and then the Vulcan learning. So I, I guess I, I don't necessarily 100% agree. I, I mean, I agree that, yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree that we like human Michael and, and you know, cause like it, it gets, it gets difficult. Like, would you, would you ever just watch a show just solely Tuvok? I mean like oh, right, er, no. early Tuvok, not like later no. Tuvok. That's no. kind of the point. That's why you don't have an all Vulcan show. Cause it would probably not be very good. And that's why progressively all of our Vulcan uh, you know, people that we see subtly change over time uh, to Paul, Tuvok, Spock. They all kind of are almost parasitically taken by the human race. It's like, you've been around us too long, Vulcans. Now you're going to be somewhat like us. But with, with Michael, I mean, she's human. She was just taught by Vulcans. But I, I kind of like when she sort of like it's almost like a, a, an insulation, like an emotional insulation that she can slap on. Sure. Um, and I always kind of like that personally. I, me personally, I've never liked Michael Burnham as a character. <laughs> sure. I don't think that her character is strong enough to be the lead. Um, and I feel like no matter how much she tries to be a Vulcan, like she never to me thinks logically she never she never behaves in any logical way and 
it always felt like she didn't want to be human. She kept like trying to force this Vulcan-ness yeah. out of her, and it just never worked for me. And I've never liked her as a character because of that. Because I felt like she didn't want to be human. She wanted to be Vulcan. And she just couldn't be. And I like this side of her in this episode. Because, Chase, I didn't even notice any of the the Vulcan, like, cold calculating thing coming out of her in this. I just thought of her as, like, a, like a pure human here. Okay. That's fair. So, but, but you... You like what you're seeing with Michael so far in this episode. I do. I do. I like what I've seen from Michael Burnham in this episode. Okay. That's fair. I mean, to each, to each their own, right? I mean, like, it's okay. I mean, we'll see what happens. Like, for all we know, she's going to revert back to, like, the more Vulcan way of doing things. But, I mean, hey, whatever, man. It is what it is. Um, so, where are we at um so we've we've escaped we've we've already kind of talked about like the fight scenes to a certain extent and um, how we could have done without one of them maybe and then we we get to san francisco bay we we open up the klingon bird of prey and the whales wait wrong is that the wrong one (laughs) (laughs) there be whales (laughs) we we fly, uh, or, or not even before, well, like, Burnham tries calling her ship, and she can't get a hold of the ship. Um, sad face. Sad emoji face. Sorry, gang. Um, but we do we do uh, free the whales um, on Sanctuary, um, the little trance worm that um, accidentally ate Michael and vomited her back up. Yeah. That's like... Tommy Lee Jones going into the to the, the like bug in Men in Black. <laughs> I like my gun. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be honest. I always thought that was kind of a stupid thing because okay. why? Okay. Hey, guys. When you eat something, what do you do with it? You chew it. Okay, I, and it was the same. It was the same thing in this episode, though. Like the worm was clearly chewing on these guys, and it was literally destroying. And then, but now with Michael, I'm gonna eat you whole. Don't worry about it. It's all good. I just want to introduce you to my stomach lining, but we'll get you out of there. I, I always thought that was kind of dumb, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Did this remind you of the little worm creature in um, Lower Decks? Like, did that give you any, like, at the beginning yeah, of it? Oh, yeah. When that, that little worm creature was, like, sucking on Boimler? Yeah. That was weird. I'm trying to re- yeah. not remember that. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> did, um... Uh, so I know I'm going into, like, the, the JJ trek for a second there, but when we get to Sanctuary... And we saw the planet of the whales swimming around, having a good time, and we see the gang standing on the precipice. Were y'all getting the same vibe as um, the planet that Kirk is um, running on, where it was like all like sorts of red, like high contrast type stuff? I think that at, was at the, be- at the beginning of um, Into Darkness. Yeah, Into Darkness. Where yeah, they like in the volcano and they come up out of it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it, it could. The scenery looked a little similar. I wouldn't read anything into that. I'm not. That was just the. That was just the thing that reminded me. I was thinking of of Into Darkness, and I know. I know that Kurtzman and JJ they they work together. They're colleagues, especially like with like the whole Star Trek thing to an extent. So, um, I just thought that was like maybe a callback in some way to that film. So. Um. I mean, is there is there anything that we need to talk about with the the whales and the worms thing? Not really. I mean, it, it's it's nice that you know, even though Starfleet and the Federation is gone, you have this this group of people that are still dedicated to protecting people, which feels like a very nice you know Star Trekky thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and I liked it. It was a it was a really good reveal because up until then we thought a book is just a, a smuggler or a bad guy, mm-hmm. and it's just a nice change of pace. Yep, Dash Rendar, man. Dash Rendar, no, no, David. I don't know what that means. Wrong, wrong podcast. Sorry, bud. Maybe some other time. <laughs> it was uh, Dash Rendar's kind of like. I don't want to say he's he's the Diet Coke version of Han, but or maybe the Pepsi version of, of Han. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, okay, all right. Moving, yeah. moving along. Moving <laughs> along. Move along. Move along. Okay. Um, so we, this. Okay, I think we're coming to the my favorite part of the episode. Um, spoilers for you guys. Uh, we get um, book reveals on Sanctuary that there's this old like checkpoint um, so like a relay station a relay station yeah um, for for the couriers um, that it's an old federation joint and he's like if any if anyone if anything can help you it's probably going to be there essentially so we we're literally f- saving the whales for like 30 seconds and we're back in space and we get to the station and we see the dude that's getting out of bed to his little um, bird alarm and we get more of a reveal of what the devil's going on and he he's he goes and he's like standing there and he finally sees some people walk through his door which he's been apparently waiting for for four decades that's a long friggin time to just yeah, and wait. Not only him, but but his father before him and his grandfather before him. Yeah. And they were all officers um, in in Starfleet. And you see this this vis- visible elation uh, come over over him, and I, I don't even know where to begin with this because like I just I love this this part of the the episode so much. Yeah, he's like, he's like, welcome to Starfleet. May I help you? And she's like, I'm Commander Burnham from the USS Discovery. He's like, oh my god, like, <laughs> this is happening. Like, this yeah. is like, happening. No, but no, but it's more like it's more like this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. But he also flips that switch and is like, how can I help you? Right. What do you need? I'm willing to do anything that I can to help you. And it's like. There's that professionalism there. Even though he's super excited, he feels like a Starfleet officer where he can just snap in and do his job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it was really... I thought it was neat, but um, not not a desk trinket. 
in all those years? I mean, not just like one one of those little dipping birds or or uh, the Newton's cradle or something like that. Not not one. Hey, he's uh he's very Spartan. Oh my god, right? it is so Spartan. All he all he has is a bird alarm clock and a and a disappearing waterbed. And uh, and uh, like a sonic light um, toothbrush. Son- thing. Sonic toothbrush. <laughs> can I can I get one of those, please? <laughs> Just like do this. This child, you got oh a toothbrush. My goodness, I'm all about that, man. Yeah, no, but I gotta say, this this actor, it's a small part yeah. in this episode, and I hope we see a lot more of him. He was fantastic he was. in just this little scene. His name is Adil Hussain, um, and he's he mainly does, um, I think it's like some Bollywood type of stuff, uh, from what I understand. Um, yeah, he's a. Ama- um, uh, yeah, he does mainstream Bollywood, and he's been um, acting since '99. Uh, um, and I actually sent him a tweet, just kind of thanking him for for his portrayal in this episode. Um, Eric, you're you're the quote you're the quote machine on on episodes. Yep. Um, so what's what? Oh gosh, there's so many good parts of this. Um, What's what's his what's part of his speech? Well, he says, um, I've scanned for 40 years, hoping that I would find someone, hoping that someone might be out there, a, a true believer, just like himself. And that relates back to what Book called her earlier, a true believer. Mm-hmm. And he's then he says, today is that day and that hope is you, which is yeah. where we get the, the title of this episode. Mm hmm. And, and as what Burnham even said after Book called her a true believer, Starfleet is about a vision. It's not just about ships. But there was a little part in there where when he was doing his scan, and he, didn't he mention there were two Starfleet ships in the sector? Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I want to know what there those ships two. are. So what yeah. I, here's what I did. I, I was thinking the same thing, dude. So, like, I'm, I'm busting out my pause button. And I'm like zooming, like I'm screenshotting this. I'm like trying to zoom in, and I'm trying to see like some kind of like registry number. Don't, don't you wish we had Federation like or CSI <laughs> image enhancing technology? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at it, and I can't, I can't see. It just says, um, um, like unknown ship or something like that. And I, I'm like, I wonder. If there is still an Enterprise, like the Enterprise M or something out there. Well, yeah. Speaking about that, um, at the be- at the very beginning of this episode, um, uh, we're flying through the debris field. Like we come up on a ship, you can see NCC on this like broken ship. Yep. Were you able to try and make out any of the numbers, the registry numbers after that? I was trying to. I was trying to, and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. Maybe that'll be something that we'll come back to next week when we talk about episode two, because um, I do want to take a harder look, because like. Both what he pulled up on his hollow map type of thing, or whatever that was, and then the debris field. I just couldn't, I couldn't see it well. But yeah, but I was also thinking like a sector, right? Like, or, or in like light years and things like that. So he couldn't see anything for what was it like six hundred light years? Well, I think he had like sixty sectors or something like that. It was no, it was um, sorry, thirty thirty sectors. 
30 sectors. Yeah, so like, I think, um, I think a quadrant, gosh, now I'm getting all sorts of confused. Because like, oh, that's what it was. Um, the, oh my gosh, Chase. So Riker at one point in, in one episode talked about how um, prior to warp, warp travel, Earth was limited uh, or something like that to just one sector um, of the galaxy. And one sector is um, 30 light years. Or sorry, 20, it's 20 light years. So basically, okay. um, I think uh, what he was saying was like, I can't go, like we're, we're kind of limited to like a very, very, very small section um, compared to like all the relay stations, all the relay, you know, buoys and, you know, the, all the communication stuff that we used to have um, because of subspace challenges. So, um, so yeah, like we are very much cut off, very, very, very cut off uh, from the rest of the Federation. Like so much so that there could be another ship like one light year beyond this limit for all I know that I can't even detect. I can only see these two. It could be like, you know, the Reliant and the Hood for a while we know, or the, the Enterprise and the Defiant, or the, like the Titan Z and something else. Yeah, while you've been talking, I've been internetting, and like nobody is really pointing this out. What, ha, does nobody have this sort of zoom-in technology that I can find these stupid ships? God, is it like a well, secret? Well, I think part of it is the way that they lit the scene, too. Because you have, like, a very small millisecond where you might be able to get, like, a clear, like, yeah. bit of text. But there's always but, like, somebody the way out that there it, in the deep web that does this kind of stuff. Like, this isn't anything I should new, be, is it? It shouldn't no. be. No. <laughs> Anyone, like, any, always, anyone that listens see, to this, you if you can see do it. Whenever they put a map, whenever they put like a map in the background of a screen, somebody on the internet always like blows up that map yeah. and look. Oh, look, look at these planets that are mentioned on this map, just randomly in the background. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll find. And those same people can do that for this. If if any of our listeners, any of our talented, sleuthy, hacker type listeners. <laughs> Okay, are able to do this, like you can do some photo manip and extrapolate any kind of registry either from the broken hull of the ship that's floating or the the ones that are showing up on that map. Please, please send it to us. We want to know these things because apparently we're dumb. We can't do it. So good job, gang. <laughs> um, yeah. um. Can we talk about the flag scene here? Now? Yes, let's talk about the can flag we, scene. Can we do that? Yeah, let's do like, it. Like, he's this. Um, uh, what, I, okay, so Aditya Sahil, I think that's what he said his name was. Mm -hmm. I'm looking that up. I'm hoping I pronounce it like Aditya Sahil, and he says, "Can you do me a favor?" She's like, "Yeah, I'll do you a favor." She's like. This has been in my family for generations, and only a commissioned officer can put it up. So will you put this flag up on the wall for me? And then she's like, what does Burnham say in response? She says, 
you're every bit a Starfleet officer as every Starfleet officer I've ever had the pleasure to serve with. And you can tell to this guy it, that hearing her say that just means so much to him. And it's a really poignant moment there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And what we need is we need um, an acting communications chief. Yeah, and then she says, will you accept that commission? Yeah. yeah that was and then he cool. comes back He comes back, and, and, and he says, our numbers are few, but our spirit is undiminished. That's his quote. Mm-hmm. And belief, belief in something bigger than yourself or something greater than yourself or this this grand cause or belief in bettering yourself um, was always at the heart of Starfleet and the Federation and Star Trek. And some of that belief and hope, I feel like, was lost in Discovery. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to seeing that here in this season. I want to... Um, so this is the, the tweet that I sent him, so I'm sorry in advance if this sounds cheesy, but I meant every single word of it. Um, I said, um, at underscore Adil Hussain, the hope is you. Hands down my favorite part of the 52-minute episode. Your character, even though we barely know him, gives all of us as fans, in parentheses true believers, hope that hashtag Star Trek and the Federation will remain. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Hashtag live long and prosper. I watched this, and I'm... When I watched this, man, and, and I'm, I'm not even embarrassed to say this, like... It doesn't happen a lot in movies or in TV shows, but I I teared up like with, with just pure joy and emotion watching this, like both times. Both times that I watched this scene, I was like, dang. Like, I, I loved it. I, I mean, it was like, what, five minutes? Five minutes, like this flag scene was five minutes, thereabouts, and then it ends. And I was just like, yeah. damn, that was good. It's good. And the the um, musical accompaniment was good too when they were finally very good dropping the flags. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I'm a sucker anytime like there's a good flag drop in any movie or TV show when like they drop the American flag or or something. I always love that scene. And when they drop this this Federation banner, even though it's only got the six stars on it as opposed to the however many it had before mm-hmm. that's a that's a that's a powerful scene yeah it's it gives us hope you know like that it doesn't matter how craptastic how awful how dark things get there are always going to be people that don't give up and we see that with 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 all the characters like i don't even care that it's it's burnham you know that's basically restarting the Federation essentially I mean the Federation's still there it's just in shambles like I don't even care that it's Burnham like the fact that we have these these people that are loyal to the Federation that believe in something higher than themselves and that we're actually seeing it pay out this way is very good it that is that is the heart of Star Trek and I feel like we're mm-hmm. getting back to the heart of Star Trek again yeah and it it, it, it um especially it comes on the heels of season one of Picard where we saw this story of the Federation pulling back mm-hmm. and not being out there and this is something that I was thinking about as we were talking earlier um, how like the Fenris Rangers became a thing because and, and Seven of Nine says 
what law? There's no law out here. And you were talking about how because there is no federation, somebody like Book is always like on guard and that's mm-hmm. why that's why he was so standoffish with Burnham at the beginning. Yeah. And so we're seeing this this hopefulness after we've seen even though I do think Picard's overall tone is hopeful, right? It's still that we've seen the Federation pull back, but now even in, we jump to the future and we're seeing people still believe in the Federation. It's hopeful in Picard, but it's slightly tainted. Mm-hmm. But but like, it's probably eighty-five to ninety percent hopeful in Picard. So, David, um, any any other thoughts on like maybe the flag scene or the relay scene or? Or anything along that lines where we're at? Um, no, not really. I think we've covered it. it like we've all said, I mean, it was a really, a really, really good scene, and it kind of seems like a, a good launching point for you know potentially where we're going next. There, there mm-hmm. are some allies. There is some remnant of the Federation. Um, definitely looking at some potential questy episodes. Like, what about the other relay stations? Let's go meet this relay person um so there's i think there's just a lot of opportunity um there's a lot of opportunity for a couple of longer arcing storylines here right you you have your your very basic like find discovery then you have your uh potential find and potentially rebuild federation then you have your figure out the burn now that seems like a lot to me for one season, though. And how many episodes did we say? Thirteen. Thir- yeah, in thirteen episodes, that's a lot. At least for me, for my mind to solve in in that many episodes. Hey, hey, they they finished a Klingon war in yeah. one season. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. And a coup attempt in the mirror universe. Yeah, and universes. Yeah. yeah, I I don't know. I I just. I feel like you could you could stretch those longer than, but who knows? Who knows? I mean, long, a little bit longer ish show. Yeah. So if we if I think if we had like the old school traditional one hour seasons, like you know the twenty thirty I, I miss episodes. Those. I do too, honestly. Um, I think that there'd be a chance that we could probably take care of maybe like one or two or one and a half of these like maybe knock out half of these three things that you're talking about um, but even then that would be that might be rushed so I don't I want I want to enjoy this and I'm, I mean each week I'm going to show up and I'm going to have an open mind and I'm hoping I'm going to enjoy the episode that I watch there's probably going to be some duds there's always a dud somewhere along the way and that's okay um, but yeah like we've been we, we heard earlier in this episode about you know, we were never really told why, like communication was kind of like the issue, like the Federation just didn't say anything. So maybe like that's part of like the story is like increasing our communication with folks and actually talking to each other again. Um, and part of that is through the practicality of having a communications officer like we have with this guy now, right? Whether he's an, he's a chief or he's like an ensign or a lieutenant or whatever, right? Um, you know, whether it's the practicality of that or it's something else, um, 
it feel it has much more of a Star Trek feel to it that we're used to is really what I'm getting at in all my ramblings. Yeah, even though you've got those those three big overarching themes that you talked about, I feel like this is set up for a planet of the week or a mission of the week. Mm-hmm. And that's always what that's what I think that's what people have have disliked about new Trek, like Discovery seasons 1 and 2 and Picard season 1 is that it doesn't have that planet of the week, mission of the week feel and like strange new worlds is supposed to go back to that. Mm-hmm. But I think we've got the ability here in this setting to do that. Okay, yeah. now we're at this planet. Now we're at this planet. Now we're at this planet. And what is it what's happening on all these different planets that have been disconnected for each other from each other for so long? Mm-hmm. I think and I don't want to um I don't even know what I'm going to say, but like Mandalorian, I think they did a good job. Like they had like the episode of the week and then there was like, I think eight episodes or something like that. Like they were off on like bugging off to like a different planet basically. But then like the, the season finale, it's kind of bringing all the storylines together, like for like a payoff. And I'd be, I'd be okay with something like that if they wanted to take like that aspect of, of serialized storytelling, like give us like, I mean, it's not a, it's not a demand, but like, give us the, the monster of the week, mission of the week thing, like we're talking about. But then, let's put a bow on it. Let's see how it all comes together in like episode thirteen, maybe. Yeah, yeah. like like X file X Files style. Yeah. Um, X Files was a monster of the week show yeah. that occasionally occasionally had a little bit of, um, mythology episodes, but the majority of them were monster of the weeks. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just the boomer in us trying to go back to old television. What, you don't want (laughs) your hour and a half Sherlock episodes for every single series that's out there? (laughs) I do do miss that that aspect of television a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, but but what I'm reminded of here from this show um, is Andromeda. I don't know if any of you watch that television show mm-hmm. Andromeda. It was uh, created by Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. Like um, he he made he tried to create it back in the 70s. Um, he had two different TV pilot movies, but neither one got picked up for series. And then so in like the early 2000s, Robert Hewitt Wolf, who was a writer on Deep Space Nine, he created Andromeda with Majel Barrett's blessing from Gene Roddenberry's notes. And it stars Kevin Sorbo, you know, Hercules. Mm-hmm. And it takes place in um, the Systems Commonwealth, right? Instead of the Federation, there's the Systems Commonwealth. And then instead of Starfleet, there's the High Guard. And um, what happens is our main character gets trapped in a black hole. And um, he's frozen in time for 300 years. And he wakes up in the future. And the system's commonwealth has collapsed um, because the Tarn Vedra, which is where the heart of the system's commonwealth was, like got cut off from the the slipstream, which was how, how they traveled faster than light. And so Dylan Hunt, our, our captain, is on a mission to rebuild the system's commonwealth. And he each the episode, the series basically he travels from planet to planet trying to convince people to rejoin the system's commonwealth and he's trying to rebuild it and i totally get andromeda vibes from what this season is i can dig it okay 
but like that's a Gene Roddenberry show. Gene Roddenberry, you know, created it, and then Robert Hewitt Wolf developed it out of his notes after obviously Gene Roddenberry died. I think that what we've kind of done all along the way, and I don't think we need to necessarily say like what we'd liked and what we didn't like, because I, I, I think we've we've already done that by and large. Uh, one thing I do want to put on the record is that I've enjoyed seeing Riker this year in Trek, saving the day in Picard and saving the day in Lower Decks. But I swear, if I see Riker show up and save the day in the last episode, I'm going to have a conniption, y'all. I love me some Riker, but <laughs> Riker better not show up in the season finale. Geez, Deanna, these uh, holodeck programs sure are uh, spiffy nowadays. You can do anything, even create your own universe. <laughs> I really learned a valuable lesson from uh, this discovery. Oh, God. oh poor, poor, poor Enterprise. Poor Enterprise. Oh, that was terrible, wasn't it? Was terrible. <laughs> well, I learned a valuable lesson. Uh, it's too bad that engineer died, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> um, what did you think about the decision to not have the Discovery in this episode and not have the rest of the crew in this episode to just focus on Michael Burnham and Book here? I actually think that Discovery is going to be episode two. I think that that's where we're gonna we're gonna pick up pick up with them, not Michael. See, see, I think that would be the smart thing to do. Like this first episode is essentially Michael Burnham coming to the future, and the second episode would be only Discovery and like basically the exact same idea. But now the Discovery gets to the future, and they're trying to figure out what's happening. I think that would be the smart thing. But I, I really, I really don't think that's what's going to happen. Um, this show has been the Michael Burnham show since episode one of season one. Yeah. And I really want to get a Discovery only episode without Michael Burnham. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think that when the Discovery actually shows up, and I think that's not going to be till episode three. I think they're just going to have a lot of explanation and talking and like Saru is going to explain in a monologue, right? What happened? I think, um, without, I mean, I don't think this is a spoiler because I think it's been well reported like through interviews and stuff, but the director of season one, the way that the story developed, um, originally, uh, Frakes was going to be directing, um, I think episode two, um, but the way that the story evolved, um, director of season of um, episode one became the director of episode two because they were still filming in Iceland. So I think episode two, whether it lines up with whether production two lines up with episode two, which I think it does, um, I think we're still going to be with with Michael Book and the gang um, in episode two, and then we're not going to see. Disco, or sorry, we're not going to see the the one zero three one discovery until episode three because Frakes is directing episode three. Yeah, and and I think what I've seen from the the previews is it looks like there's like a montage sequence of time passing mm -hmm. where Book and Burnham are together, mm -hmm. and then we see her hair is really long, mm -hmm. and there's that there's that line 
when we're meeting our communications off liaison here who said they, they say according to the laws of temporal mechanics they could show up tomorrow or like a thousand years from now mm -hmm. so i feel like there's going to be some significant time michael burnham's going to be in the future for a while before the discovery actually shows up i mean women grow their hair like it takes a long time for women to grow their hair for crying out loud and she's got like long braids so it's it's going to be a minute. I'd say a couple of years is what I'm guessing. Well, I mean, but realistically, it could also be just extensions. That's true. So it might, Thank you, David. It might not be a time thing. It might just be a style change. And I mean, listen, if 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 our if our uh, if our Spartan individual here can just you know go into his magic mirror and have his teeth magically whitened, I'm sure that thing can cut hair or grow hair or add hair. I mean, why not? Maybe yeah. one day I mean, they, he did, they did he, it with seven. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, maybe one day he just feels a little funky. And he's, he he looks the uh, looks to the right, looks to the left. He's like, all right, computer. Um, I'd like about uh, floor length hair for today, and he just. Poof. Well, <laughs> I want to do a little headbanging later on to some, uh, you know, some 20th century rock, some classic, classic yeah. rock, you know. Well, as we as we start to uh, land the plane, we come into the station again and, and wrap up this this discussion, this episode. Uh, we we have a habit of kind of giving this of, of when we do engage episodes of rating the episode on a scale of one to ten. Uh, 10 being perfect, being amazing, uh, one being garbage, basically. Um, so let's let's go ahead and make the rounds and kind of see how you gents are are rating um, Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 1, The Hope Is You, Part 1. Okay, I'm looking at the episode titles here for this, for Season 3. This is called. This episode is called "That Hope Is You." That hope part is you. one. Part one, yeah. Part one, but there there's is no part not two. an episode part two. Nope. I saw that too. <laughs> <laughs> it's next so, like, season. Are they just the hope? Continues. Are they messing with us? Are they messing with us here or what? <laughs> They're trolling us. And then I also see something very interesting. Um, yep. Uh, mm -hmm. In the notable guests, the notable guests. Kenneth Mitchell as Tanavik, which is like Ash Tyler and um, or Vogue and Lorel's son that was on the Time Crystal planet. So are we going to Time Crystal our way back to the past? Is that what we're going to do? Quite possibly. <sighs> time stuff. Anyway, I just that was random as I was looking at this. And also Unification Part 3. Yep, we're going to get to that. <laughs> On Thanksgiving Day, I think. I'm so thankful for that. <laughs> okay, so I'll go first then. Um, back to your original question. Um, I really, really enjoyed this episode. Okay. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's no surprise that I am not the biggest fan of Discovery. Um I have a lot of problems with season one of Discovery. A lot of problems. And if you want to hear me rant, we can do a podcast just on me ranting. I'll be here by myself. I don't need Chase. I don't need you, David. I'll just rant just for record. an hour 
about about season one of Discovery and how not a fan I am of season one. Um, I think season two has a lot of problems, but it's a marked improvement over season one. And this episode here, I think, is a big, big improvement over season two as well. And I'm actually looking forward to watching the rest of this season and seeing what comes. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say this is the best episode of Discovery. I still think New Eden is probably the best episode where we went to Terralisium mm-hmm. at the beginning of season two. But this episode is very, very close. And I think I'm going to give it... I'm going to be pretty, pretty high on this episode. I'm going to give it, like, an 8.7. Dang. Which is a pretty pretty high rating. Like, I don't... I don't do too many things that high, but I am really excited. And I guess maybe I'm just ranking it high because it's such an improvement over what we've seen before. Okay. But yeah, yeah, I'm going 8.7. Okay. How about you, David? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a really good episode. I I enjoyed this, you know, the story overall, the acting, uh, the scenery. I think that there were there were a couple of little tiny stumbly points, but then not enough to really detract from any rating. Um, but yeah, it, it's a good start to a season. It gives a lot to speculate about what's coming next, um, and it was kind of in a bottle. I I, I kind of have you know that thought about a lot of stuff. Sometimes you know things can be too big. It's like the um, the sequel or the the excuse me, the middle movie in a trilogy mm-hmm. sometimes, like, uh, uh, oh, geez, I really can't remember anything right now, but uh, the Christian Bale Batman movies, the Heath Ledger the Joker, Knight. it was so much bigger than Begins, and to be honest, I'm never, aside from Star Wars, a fan of the middle movies very often, and even though Heath Ledger was an awesome Joker, uh, I still preferred Begins, it is what it is. Um, so sometimes I kind of like these in-the-bottle in first episodes where it's very focused, hyper-focused, and not trying to be too overarching. Maybe gives you some ideas, but it's very much Michael Burnham. It's very much her reactions to this new time. You're introducing little things, but it doesn't wind up being too big for its own its own britches, so to speak. Um, but yeah, as far as a rating, I was thinking probably like like eight point two. I think it's a very okay. very solid episode, and it makes me look forward to uh, what's coming next. Sure. And for me, um, I, I I originally watching Discovery um, wasn't a big fan. I mean, I'm still not not the biggest fan of Discovery, to be, to be completely honest with you. Um, but after starting to rewatch. Discovery season one again. I can appreciate things some more. Same thing with season two. I can appreciate the show more um, rather than like the angry nerd trolls that I would listen to alongside of it that were kind of like skewing my my viewing experience of it for the most part. And Are you considering w- me an angry nerd troll? Oh God, no, no, it's no. a YouTuber, not you. Okay. No, you YouTubers. I should I should qualify that. Um, but they would. They would really, they really did impact the way that I viewed, um, like New Trek, basically. And looking at this episode and the fact that I didn't dread watching 
this episode a second time is a very good sign so far for me. Um, and dadgummit, man, like just the, the new officer that we have at the relay station, our new communications officer, that I think is the thing that is driving up the rating for me. And um, I'm right there with Eric. I'm giving this episode an 8.5 on this one. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, there were just, I mean, like the, the only reason like I'm bringing it down is because of like some of the things I was saying, like, yes, we should suspend disbelief on some things and just kind of accept things for what they are. But I think part of what makes Trek Trek is like we have very intelligent viewers and we, we want to understand like why things were or weren't or did or did not pan out the way in which they did. So still a very high rating as far as I'm concerned. Um, especially for Discovery. So 8.5 for me, 8.7 for Eric, and an 8.2 for David. Yeah, I think all of those are strong numbers. If you ask me to give a rating to Season 1, Episode 1, or Season 2, Episode 1, not going to get that high of a rating. Negative Ghost Rider. <laughs> Negative. Well, gang, we don't need to belabor the point anymore. We are at the end of our review for um, for this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. We'll be back next week um, to talk about episode two and the week after that for three and so on and so forth um, so let us know I mean send us a tweet um, interact with us on the Facebook group um, send us a note um, let us know how you experienced um, this this season opener for discovery did it meet your expectations did you think it was garbage did you give it a 10 or did you give it a four um, let us know we'd love we'd love to hear that and um, as we leave here today, uh, remember that you can do all that. You can interact with us by going to trtvpod.com and check out our Hailing Frequencies page. Um, leave comments and other stuff there as well. You can also send us an email to trtvpod at gmail.com as well as a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. There's a three-minute time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode of Engage or These Are the Voyages. Uh, finally, if you want to send us something, like a model, a letter, um, a gift card, I don't know, a ficus plant, you can do that. <laughs> you can send it to Lone Star Station. Spoiled milk. Box. Live gerbil. <laughs> it's fine. fine. P.O. Box 2455 Azle, Texas, A-Z-L-E 76098. Uh, we, um, I've really appreciated and, and enjoyed um, this first year that we've been doing this stuff together. Uh, make sure you come back next week to hear more from um, all three of us and also give David's podcast, the Contingency Plan Podcast, a listen if you're really into Star Wars. It does a great job. So as always, as we depart, may you always remember to boldly go and make it so.